Like the rising sun that shines Awaken us Okay, open your Bibles if you would to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25. It is. I was. We have some other dear friends that were actually in life group with us for a season, and uh, uh, they're missionaries in Uganda, and uh, that are visiting today. It's been like a. Uh, this summer at CF, because we've got so many missionary friends, it's just been like the nation tour through here, and uh, but it's great to see you guys, Brendan and Sarah Hollingsworth, and uh, we're actually in life group with us, and then went back to. CFCF in Boston, one of the Antioch churches there, and we're sent out from uh, Boston, and it's great to see you guys, and um, left. Did you have a baby when you left? Uh, just the, had the one, and now they have two kids, and all that's super exciting. Glad you guys are here. Honor you as well today. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Here we go. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, bless the reading of Your Word. Open our eyes that we might see even more today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, well, we're starting a little series here on hope, calling this Fresh Hope. And uh, can I just say that we are built for hope? We were made to make it. Kind of mixed on that one. Let's just say that together. We were made to make it. We were made to make it. And so, when you're in the middle of it and you don't feel like you can make it, What do you need to say to yourself? I was made to make it. Lord, help me. Hope. Uh, We Just kind of building on even some things that we were talking about in the last few weeks about created to do great things. And so there's a couple times a year where we we do this, where we kind of re-up on some focus for the future. And one of them is at the beginning of the year, and another one's right now because we're going into a new school semester, new possibilities, new ideas, new ways of thinking about the future. And uh, I need to see an outline, if I could. Oh, it it didn't get... Yeah, okay, wow. Okay, so at the bottom, uh, I I had this thought, so I'm brainstorming. Because of the week that we had, 
Um, um, I was, so when I start writing a message, I write everything that, that's in my head down. I just start, I start just, I, I want to get it all out there. And sometimes that stuff makes it into the sermon, and sometimes that stuff doesn't. And I had this thought pass through my head that humor actually helps us with hope for the future. You know, and, and it does. It's good to smile. It's good to laugh along the way. And I was thinking about hope, and I had this idea about Brian Regan and about your hopes and dreams and stuff. And, and so, anyway, if you would, scratch that off the bottom of your outline. It doesn't go on this outline at all. It has nothing to do with this sermon. And I couldn't catch Lisa in time to tell her. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I was on my computer over the weekend. We'd already printed the bulletins, and I was like, oh, no, Brian Regan, good luck with your hopes and dreams. Oh, it's terrible. And you can look it up online. You know, it's, you know, he's looking for intelligent, you know, we're looking for intelligent life out there as if if we found any kind of life, it would, wouldn't be helpful. But uh, he, he finds life, but it's not, it's not intelligent life. And so he kind of gets, gets out of there real quick. Says, good luck with your hopes and dreams. Okay. We're moving on now. That's what we're doing. So I almost called I almost called this sermon Faith, Hope, and Love, which is actually kind of funny to me, talking about humor, to me because that was the name of my very first sermon. Now, there's a couple people that have heard this, but my very first sermon was called Faith, Hope, and Love. So I, I've never preached before, and... Uh, and I go to a little church of Christ. This is probably 1988, something like that, 1988. And I go to this little church in Leonard, Texas. Little bitty building. There's the Church of Christ, there's the Methodist Church, and there's the Baptist Church, right? And there they are. Leonard, Texas, the thriving metropolis as the tumbleweeds blow down the street. And man, was I fired up to preach that day. Faith, hope, and love. I mean, there's a lot of ammo in there, right? You can just, you know, and just bring it. And so I, in 24 years of wisdom, depth of download from God, revelation about Jesus, stood up. I had prepared the message. And uh, I was probably 50, maybe 60 years younger, Kim and I, than anybody else in the room that day. And I'm not exaggerating. And, uh, and uh, had the Jordan River kind of mural thing behind the, behind the baptistry there. Stood up to bring the word pulpit, bigger, wide than I am, tall. You know, it's gigantic. I'm overdoing this. <laughs> it's because when I brought that message, and I, I said everything that I could say about faith, unpacked it. Hope, then unpacked that whole deal. Love. Unpack the full measure of love that can be spoken about, right? Eighteen minutes later, <laughs> as I wrapped that sermon up and brought it to a conclusion, looking out across a sea of elderly faces that could not, could not believe eighteen minutes later I was wrapping up the whole faith, hope, and love message asked if any of them needed to be saved or baptized because that's the way we all finished the, the messages there. We wrapped it up. 
brought it to a conclusion, walked out to an empty street where the Baptists and the Methodists were still 30, 45 minutes away from letting out. And that is my uh, reference point for faith, hope, and love. It was a long time ago. But the longer you live, the more you learn about hope. Okay, I got got it. If you think you're getting out in 18 minutes today, forget it. You've got more to say. So, you know what? We were hoping. You know, why do you learn more about hope as you get older? Because you need it, man. You've, it's the anxieties. It's the stresses. It's the pressures. It's the financial deals. It's the marriage deals. It's the job stuff. Right? You know, it's the kids stuff. It's the parents stuff. Parents are getting older. You know, it's, all, it's the impossible things that you want to break through in and you're going, what in the world's going to happen? And you need hope in all of those situations. There's different kinds of hopes. Hope, right? Hope is like, you can say, well, I hope so. I hope that happens. You know, kind of a, it's almost like a, love you, love, love ice cream, love, you know, we, we can use those words in very diluted kind of ways. It can be like, hope can be like a daydream almost, you know, kind of, I, I, one of the things I like to do, it's a way for me to uncork a bit, um, is to watch golf on Sunday afternoons. And you, some people are like, that would put me to sleep so fast. There's something, and Kim goes, why are you getting so excited? It's a putt. You know, I said, no, honey, it's not just a putt. That putt, if he makes it, is worth $500,000. It's the difference between, she goes, well, if it stresses you out, why do you watch it? it, it anyway, so I daydream, I I imagine myself sitting over that, and I'm not like a big golfer, five, six times a year, whatever. And I'm not a big golfer, but I imagine myself, you know, doing that deal. And that's, that's more like a daydream, kind of, you know, I'm not really like moving toward my golfing dream or something, right? <laughs> I mean, now, there are people, you know, Todd and I used to, we used to play basketball, and we'd all, as kids, you know, it's, it's three, two, one, five. You know, when you're a kid, you, you remember, you daydream like that. And some of us daydream, and some of us actually move toward those goals. There's a bunch of guys in college right now, and in the NBA, they were doing that same stuff. Three, two, but they kept doing it. And they kept moving. It wasn't just a daydream kind of a hope. It was like they worked at it. And they moved toward that hope that was in their hearts. Does that make sense? There's a big difference between hopeful, wishing, daydreamy kind of stuff and hope that has hands and feet to it where you actually walk forward in it. The Greek idea for hope, Yancey was telling me a story about a actually pretty famous guy named Elvin Bishop who was uh, over in Greece and uh, the, guy, the guy picked him up, a Greek guy picked him up at the airport, took him to the hotel and said, hey, you're going to be with us for the dinner tonight. And Elvin said, I, I hope so. And the guy did a double take and said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I, I hope so. He said, no, no, you don't use the word hope if you're not sure. If it could go either way, you use another word, but you don't say hope. Hope means I'm going to be there. So it's a different kind. I'm going 
I'm walking, I'm moving toward that becoming a reality. So there's a different kind of way for us to think about what hope is. It's moving toward something. And so hoping to have a better marriage isn't a daydream. It's like we're doing stuff practically moving forward toward that future that God has for us. Hoping to be a better student isn't just like, well, maybe when I get out of high school, then I, my, my study habits will change when I get to college. It, it doesn't work that way. You know, same thing is true with our kids parenting. You know, I, I hope my kids will be raised up to love Jesus. And you know, it's a journey. All these things are a journey. It's, it's, nobody does it perfect, you know, and even like Todd was saying a minute ago, God's not caught off guard by where we are right now in this whole process. He doesn't, he's not caught off guard by anybody's situation right now, okay? He loves you. Yeah, take a big deep breath. Wow. You know, but we're moving forward in the whole process. When we're compelled by a future that has a hold of our hearts and we start hoping toward something, we're moving toward that. We're compelled by that future and we are even willing to endure and persevere. Two words that are closely connected with hoping. Well, you don't just endure and persevere in order to, about a daydream. Does that make sense? You endure and you persevere because you're moving forward into something. Um, yeah, it... I could keep going on with illustrations, but I mean, like in marriage, you know, if there's issues in marriage right now, I can't go, you know, I hope things will change when, my, when kids come. Or if there's issues in marriage and the kids are getting older, I hope things will change when they get out of the house. You see what I'm saying? You, gotta, you work on that stuff now, all along the way. I feel like I'm getting there on that. So... Uh, the main thing is this. Great artwork, by the way, BJ. The main thing is that God is calling us to real hope that moves us forward into the future and is lived out with others. Real hope that moves us forward into the future and is lived out with others. Hope is usually, and a lot of times in the New Testament, connected to uh, faith and love and living it out with others. Faith and love, and living it out with others. And that's what we're going to see in this Hebrews 10 passage. And so let's just kind of walk through this. The note that we're sounding, you could play all four of these notes. Da-da-da-da-da. But we're going, to, we're going to really hit the da-da, the hope note, and still have the other, four, the other three notes in there as well. So here we go. God is calling us, number one, to faith that assures Faith that assures. Those first couple verses there, 19. Um, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, that's Jesus, and since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And here's how we do that. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, reference to baptism. Okay? So we can draw near to God, um, but what I want us to see here, and this is a big deal, we've been working on this for a couple of years now, but our primary kind of uh, 
paradigm for understanding God is like, really, unfortunately, like all the other religions of the world that view God as this angry deity that has to be pacified through sacrifices. Anybody ever had that thought? Okay, so I am now subverting that idea. I'm trying to come under that idea and turn that idea on its head because it's not biblical and doesn't represent the God that Jesus reveals. And if we will go back to Jesus Christ and look at Jesus Christ first, then what we see is Jesus doesn't reveal a Father that has a different mind than Him. Okay? And so what you end up with there is so much of Hebrews is dealing with the need to, uh, to deal with us. So, the, the result, check this out, the result of therefore, all this stuff he's been talking about, he's been talking about the story of Israel, about the temple, about the sacrifices, about the high priest, about Jesus coming with His blood as a once for all sacrifice to do what? To cleanse our consciences from guilt. Not to get an angry pagan version of God that's turned His back on us to turn His back to us and start loving us again. I feel like I'm saying that just about as clearly as I can say it. This is huge. This is absolutely huge because it affects the way... I mean, if you think this is God, you know, and He needs sacrifices... What does he say right up there in chapter 10 just before that? Jesus, and this is a quote. Um, I don't have the, the, uh, the, the psalm in front of me. Somebody pull that psalm. Uh, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. This is Jesus talking. This is Jesus saying, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But sacrifice and offering in our pagan view of the angry omni-deity that's got his back turned to us, every culture has this stuff going on. All the religions of the world, except for ours. The God that Jesus reveals, every culture, throwing babies into volcanoes, killing people up on top of Mayan temples, offering children to Molech in order for the crops to grow, because this God's got his back turned away. Jesus comes and says, I and the Father are one. I'm coming to you while you are enemies. And I'm wanting to pull you back into a right relationship with me where you won't run and hide from me. Again, the Garden of Eden, first thing that happens, Adam and Eve run, hiding, kneeling, crouching in the bushes, hiding from God. Okay? What does God do? God kills an animal so He can turn to them? Come on. No, He wants to cover them so they can come to Him. It's good news. It's good news. Does, I, I could keep going. Does, does God need Abraham sacrificing Isaac on the altar in order for God to get... To, no. Don't do it, Abraham. He doesn't need that. So, so much of this, I mean, even the blood of Jesus, I could just keep going. I'll read one more verse. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. 
How much more then will the blood of Christ... Here's what the blood of Christ does. Who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So, what happens is our faith finds assurance in what Jesus Christ has done for us in putting an end to Adam in being the once-for-all sacrifice that's needed for us to be able to come into right relationship with God. Okay? He's raised from the dead. We live by His life now. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He, we participate with Him in that life and it deals with our conscience, our, our minds, and uh, our faith gets stirred. Okay. Everybody okay? It's a big deal. Um, man, I just, I'm, I'm reading Hebrews over the weekend just going, I, it's... This isn't about getting God to turn around. That's a very, very pagan, darkened God. And you know, we can't see this until we realize that Jesus has actually stepped down into our darkness in order to help us to see. And He prays, Father, at the end of His life, right before He's crucified, I've done it. I've stepped down into the darkness. I've taken what You've given me and I've made it known to them. I've stepped right into the middle of their yuck and their muck, and their mess, and I've made it known to them, this life that's been given to them through me by the Spirit that we share together. And I want them to see the glory that You've given me before time even began, and the glory is the love that You have for me in the Spirit. Amen. Okay, so point number two. God is calling us to faith that assures. Number two, God is calling us to hope that holds. And here's the main note that I want to sound this morning, and just in a couple of different ways. Hope that holds. Verse 23, and let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. And uh, so hope that holds, kind of two aspects to the way I'm thinking about this. Hope that, that we hold on to. It's out there in the future. It's like an anchor. Uh, I don't have that reference, anchor for the soul. You know, it's like an anchor for us out there in the future. We hold on to that, but it holds on to us. I'm held on to by this hope in Jesus Christ. And I'm holding on to that. And it's like this hope literally pulls me into the future. When I start seeing what God has for me, I'm literally pulled into that future I could, not, uh, I could not endure what I endure. I couldn't persevere through what I persevere if I didn't have hope for what Jesus Christ is doing in me, in us, and in our church family. It's too much. You know, it's too much for anybody to, to walk through. Now, bringing that down home, it's like with our marriage, marriages, and with our children. What allows you to keep pressing forward when you go through a hard time? It's hope. You know, hope is like this, it's something we see out there that becomes like the seedbed for faith rising up in our hearts. That's how hope is, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it rises up in our hearts as we see. You know, what is my destiny in marriage? And you need to think about this. What's my destiny in marriage? And you guys know this, our vision 
is, is shaped by Christ in the church. And so I see this thing getting better and better and better until the day we die. In every aspect, spiritually, physically, emotionally, just getting deeper and deeper and better and better. That is a hope that I hold on to that helps my marriage. How about you guys? So you got to have something that you see. You know, as parents, what are you holding on to about the kids, the little guys, as they're being raised up? What's, being, what's your vision for them? The hope that you have for them. And it's going to impact the way you hold on and the way, you're, you, uh, the, the way you move into that future. What's your vision for work? And it will help uh, hold you and, and, and move you and motivate you forward in the days ahead. It's like uh, sowing and reaping, what I'm talking about right now. I either am sowing to this or I'm not. I'm sowing to my kids because of the hope that I have. I'm sowing to my work. All of these different things, they have aspects. To, and, and we are living out. We're on the, we're, we shouldn't be surprised by where we end up. The path that you're on is where you're going to end up. And so we want to have the right perspective about that. It's, it's like... Uh, you sound like you're talking about some hard things. I, maybe I am. Proverbs 23, 23. John Brown, one of my mentors, said, Jamie, get this verse, get it deep in you. Buy the truth and do not sell it. What does he mean? He means buy it now and it's like buying it in 1950 because if you wait, it's going to be like trying to buy it in... Uh, it's going to be like trying to buy it in 2014. You buy it here earlier in the journey and the price is so much. You buy it over here later in the journey and the price is so much. Buy the truth and do not sell it because over time the price goes up. There is inflation when it comes to these things. Kingdom truths. Investing in marriage. Investing in parenting. Investing in our work stuff. Those kinds of things. Um, Romans. Chapter, chapter 5. Great kind of perspective on this. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, the second part of the verse, he says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, the glory of God. It's that God would be seen everywhere, that things would be as they should be. We rejoice in the hope of seeing everything as it should be. And... We rejoice also in the fact that Christ is in you and that is the hope of all things being as they should be, right? So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. Okay, so... God is calling us to faith that assures, to hope that holds, holds on to, because we're going to face stuff in life, hard things, um, things that are suffering things that lead to perseverance and character and ultimately build more hope. And it's, uh, the best way to see this is to think of a, of, a, of a helix of growth that's going higher and higher rather than I moved through suffering, I moved through perseverance, I moved through character, and I moved through hope, 
and now da, 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 he's poured out his love in my heart. It, it does, it's more like there's always going to be some more stuff. Is that encouraging? I don't know. Uh, okay, so the, the third piece then is, is love that acts. God's calling us to love that acts. Um, he says, let us then consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Consider how we may spur one another on. Love and good deeds. Don't you like the fact that love is connected with action? Hey, Randy, what was the name of that book? Love Love Does. Yeah, okay, so there's, I've got the guy's name, Bob, some, Gop. Gop. <laughs> she thinks my hearing is going. <laughs> hey, you guys ever, anybody ever do this? Like you say the word that you think somebody said, and, and then they look at you funny, because you, I was trying to be funny sometimes, and <laughs> so I said Bob Goff. <laughs> Not funny. Okay, so uh, action, love does. Love does things. It's got action connected to it, and there's probably a hundred different examples in this room of love and action this past week. You know, Joe, wow, okay, I've got an example. So I came in to the office the other day, and walked past Lisa's desk, and there was a full bouquet of flowers there on Lisa's desk. So that's kind of a love does, right? So, you know, if we never did things to back up what we're saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but never backed that up with whatever, action, it'd be kind of empty sometimes. I was thinking about that this past week, Thursday really just went a totally different direction and ended up being at the, the hospital and a couple different times over there with, with Chris. And I was looking into his eyes. We were holding each other's hand and just looking in his eyes. And I thought, you know, there is an aspect of love that can only be expressed right now here. You know, I can say I, I love Chris, but there's part of this that can only be expressed looking into his eyes and us praying and talking and doing all the things that were happening there. You know, I could tell her, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if I don't do some things that kind of back that up, it's going to be empty. Um, for me, one of those things is uh, doing the floors. Doing the floors. And, uh, but for you, it might be something else. But for her, that really seems to work. You know, I'm like... I'm like, uh, hey, what do you think? She goes, this looks awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm in, man. Okay. The fourth thing is that God's calling us to faith that assures, hope that holds, love that acts, and community that encourages. The last piece there is then, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So, we're living in this now and not yet time. Jesus is revealing Himself. We have His life. We participate in that. But there's coming a day when it's going to be face-to-face. -face. It's going to be wonderful. But in the meantime, we need to encourage each other. And there's just something that only happens when we come together. Life groups, discipleship, eating meals together, 
coming here together on Sundays. And we look at this, and I think uh, the idea of community, especially in our culture, we look at this like it's optional. Okay? What we're doing here is optional. And can I just say, in the heart of God, it's not, it's not an optional thing. And I don't mean that like a legalistic thing. I mean, it, it's more like the design of God is that we would live together in Christian community as family. So that's the way He's designed for it. But our culture would say, you know, this is one of many optional rocks that you can kind of put in your jar or not, depending on how busy your week is. Okay? So you've got children's activities. You've got dinner with your family. You've got these different things. And oh, by the way, you've got some church stuff over here. And you can do that or not do it along the way. But what happens over time is that without this piece being a high priority, a high value piece for you, you end up over time, and it's like a frog in the kettle. You can't pinpoint what is being lost on a week in and week out basis. But there is loss. There is loss for us when we uh, you know, stop meeting together, when we stop living life together. You know? And so it's not just uh, this, what we do here, it's about as optional as eating. Okay? You can do without it in different seasons, but it's called fasting. You know? And if you do it too much, it's actually not good for you. You, know, you begin to be uh, malnourished. Uh, you start to lose vitamins and nutrients and things that you need to make it. Does that make sense? You know, it's not just another curricular, extracurricular activity. Christ and His life getting worked out in the context of healthy church life is a part of what God calls His glory being seen on the earth. It's part of His plan for distributing and releasing and, and, and for Christ being seen in all the earth. The way He says it in Ephesians 3.21 is to Him, to God, be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. So, in Genesis, in type, in revelation, in fulfillment, Christ in the church is something that God is very much into. Adam and Eve that represent Christ in the church and then Christ in the church at the end of the story that are there together. The wedding feast of the Lamb. This is not like a passing kind of thing. Our connection together is absolutely huge. You want to maintain hope for the long haul? You've got to do that in a place where you're being encouraged to do hope for the long haul. To do love and to do faith. It's, that's, that's God's plan for this thing getting worked out. We need encouragement. We need to be spurred on. We need encouragement and faith, hope and love. So let me just kind of wrap this up by talking about living this thing out. I read an interesting little blog article that was passed on to me by a guy named Kelly Flanagan. And uh, he is a Christian counselor. He'd gone back for some uh, additional education classes. And one of the exercises that they did in this class was the instructor had them to imagine a file folder of the years of their lives. Okay? And so he had them pull out a current... You can just kind of do this with me. Pull out a current file folder... And it had all of the family relationships and other relationships, and maybe some of those relationships are struggling. And the different ways people hide and avoid and, 
do insecurity and all this kind of stuff when they're trying to relate to each other, but it's broken and it's just, it's a mess and it's that, it's that Christmas celebration with the family, Thanksgiving, you fill in the blanks, you know where the tensions are, but just kind of put it in there. It's broken, hiding, running, avoiding, insecure, all that stuff. He, they look at the file. He has them imagine looking at that file. It's right now, 2014. Now put that up and imagine five years into the future. Pull out that file and absolutely nothing has changed. All the relationships, the same level of brokenness or worse. Running, hiding, avoiding, insecurities, all that kind of stuff. Now put the file folder up. Now go ten years into the future. Pull out the file. Nothing has changed. And you work through that, all these broken relationships with no change whatsoever in the marriages, no change with the kids, no change with the parents, all that. Fifteen years, they do it again. Twenty years, he said, by the end of the exercise, he said, I was angry. He said, I was ticked off. I was angry. Because we are not wired to imagine things unchanging in broken situations. He called it creative hopelessness. And I quote, he said, uh, uh, people were demanding to know why. In a therapeutic exercise, he wouldn't let them envision change. And he explained, by envisioning change, you would have been robbed of the experience of not changing. Okay, whether you realize this or, or not, this, may, this is one of the most powerful ways that we actually change, is by imagining not changing. You need to suffer the reality of not changing, and by suffering it, you may actually be motivated to change it. Otherwise, you'll just plan on changing it. Do you see the difference? You know, it's one thing to plan on changing it. It's another thing to actually change it. Where we live, It's kind of a hopeful, daydreamy kind of, it's just, you know, I'm gonna, that's going to change, it's going to be different. And the way, his quote, and I love this, it's a hope lived is what we're going for, not just a hope hoped. Isn't that great? So we want to live this thing, walking into our hopes, not just hoping about our hopes. Not just thinking about it, daydreaming about it, but actually starting to take steps toward the hopes that are, I have in my life. Marriage, family, kids, work, all these different, church life, all these different things. Marriage is not perfect. Somebody, glory. Yeah. <laughs> Marriage isn't perfect. Parenting, it's not a perfect process. How many of you, I mean, my dad's apologized about stuff he did with me when I was 12. and still just, it, it comes up from time to time. Stuff where he misparented. And, and we do that. We make mistakes. Nobody does this thing perfectly. We make mistakes. Job, it's not perfect. Parent relationships, not perfect. But God wants to birth a hope in us that changes things. And I just want to say, you know, with faith rising in our heart, with hope that's holding on, like we're reading in this passage, all because of Jesus, Him making a way for us to be people that really do love with action and good deeds, that live in community that encourages each other, where we get stirred up about moving forward and what all that God has for us. Um, 
I just I know today that August 17th that some of us need a new beginning today. And some of us need a new hope just rising up in our hearts. And I want to say that that is available because of Jesus Christ. It's available to us. Today is the day. And you could say, well, I'll, I'll wait. Don't, don't wait. Don't be like, you know, Pharaoh's got all the frogs there, all the stuff, the plagues going on. When do you want the frogs to go? Moses asks Pharaoh. He says, uh, tomorrow. It's the weirdest thing. I want the frogs to leave tomorrow. How about the frogs leave today? How about new hope starts today? Okay? New hope starts today. And I'm going to be just real practical here just because I feel like we need to. Everybody, and you can say, well, I know that's your thing. You, you, you talk about spending time with Jesus. But I can't, I can't get stirred up in hope in my own heart if I don't spend regular time with Jesus. I've got to connect with Jesus. I've got to calibrate my broken, distracted life every single day. I am a mess. I don't know about you guys. I'm a mess. I'm so distracted and I need to refocus every single morning. I want to abide in Him all day long. That's the goal of my every single day. But I can't do that without spending time with Jesus. And I'm not trying to earn something with God. Jesus Christ has done it all. But I want to live with Him. I want to, to start walking in these hopes. And that starts in a daily personal connect and devotional life with Jesus Christ. And I need time with others. I need to be in, find encouragement that comes through other people. I'll just tell you, this past week was hard for me. I've just, and, and I think it's just I've been pressing for a long time on some things and just kind of redlining and just there's been a lot of just different things that have required me and so I just I kind of lost it with Todd a little bit you know and just you know and he said man and he just encouraged me he had some words of encouragement and he I was just happened to be with him I was with a brother that could encourage me in that moment and that's what happens when we get together with brothers and sisters sisters whatever you know is that we get and we find encouragement for our souls. So, when I open the file five years from now, and when you open the file five years from now, it will not look the same. It's going to be different. There is a hope and a future for all of us in our relationship, marriage, kids, parenting, jobs, all that kind of stuff that just weighs heavy on us. But there's a starting place where you say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. All right? Let's stand up. Jeremy.